Hello and welcome to Infinity Master and Friends. And today, we're going to be doing something a little bit different. We're going to be reading Doctor Who, The Secret in Vault 13. All contents of this book in this episode of the podcast will be copyrighted to the BBC and David Solomons. Hope you enjoy. Take it away. Start from page one. Tell them the name of the book. Cohen will be reading okay. the first little bit. Doctor Who, Secret Vault in 13. The Vault of the, the oh, thing, uh, thing. Okay, here we go. Talk loud, okay? Diddy dum, diddly do, hoo hoo. The first was, chapter. <laughs> it was a Mark IV so compact me- mechanical, and it had been hunting them de- since daybreak. The machine had pursed them through the forest of desolation, across the burning grounds, into the valley of Agnes, into the place now the chase was all over. The Mark IV just adjusted its strain, seal, seal settings, edged closer to the cave. Inside, four humans had chosen to make their last stand. During the long pursuit, the machine had ascended each of their capabilities, finding none to be a match for its own. It ran through their profiles now. First, the younger male human, designated Ryan, Minimal offensive capabilities. Underground, unlike the Mark IV's active Otembulum armor, its so close based clothing provided no effect protection. Similarly, although this rubber plastic shoes often trisectin, they were no match for its military grade tank tracks, the machine ascended from the first. Wait, oh. Okay, it's still recording. Okay. Sorry, we just had a little technical difficulty yeah. there, guys. Go ahead, Cohen. Um, what was I? She posed no threat. Next, the older male human designated Graham. Eyesight fading, bone Disney weak. Hairline rec- receding. Receding. He would be crushed as easily as Zug, but Zug Beast of Zelta Decronus. It took a microsecond to dismiss him. And finally, the other female human, the Mark IV, had obtained little intelligence about her during the pursuit, besides the fact she was clearly... Tell you one thing to all you Doctor Who fans, we know she's not a human. Um, Before launching the assault that would inevitably lead to their capture, the Mark IV took a moment to scan the humans one final time. Your turn. Where are we? Um, right up there. <clears throat> it finally turned audio detection circuits and picked up a snatch of conversation. I wouldn't call it a giant robot, said the female leader. Don't exaggerate, Graham. Well, excuse me, Doc. I didn't know there was a minimum height requirement. The Mark IV Five analyzed Graham's voice. The waveform suggested anxiety, along with a characteristic known as sarcasm. All I know, he went on, is that we're being chased by a blooming great metal monster. Actually, it's not metal, said the woman. The Mark VI, known to be, now knew to be designated Doc. The shell is some kind of com- compost material, ray shielded, but not un. Un, 
unruinable turtle. Anyway, anyway, I've seen everything I need to. That's enough running around for one day. What are you talking about, said Graham. You planned this, didn't you, said Ryan. I knew it. You mean I didn't have to knacker myself running all over this planet, Graham protested. How else was I supposed to figure out what we were up against, said Doc. Had to give our friend a proper run out. The Mark Six paused. An audio scan had de de dedicated something unexpected. Baboom, baboom. Overlapping heartbeats. Imitating from Doc, the machine drew from the only logical collusion. Collusion. She had two hearts. It made the necessary correction to the profiles. Three humans, one unknown. Identify. The Mark Six connected to the fleet network and sent its query ranging back to the Citicals supercomputers, accessing the knowledge of 10,000 star systems. Four milliseconds later, it had an answer. Species, Time Lord. Origin, Gallifrey. Designation, The Doctor. A list of the most dangerous species in the universe scrolled across the Mark Six display. Centaurian, Cybermans, the Cybermen, the Daleks, the Skyrow. According to the database, they had all fallen to the Doctor's sword. Not that the machine could actually identify a sword or needed any kind of weapon at all on her person. The Mark VI hesitated. Until that moment, every factor had pointed it to an overwhelming victory in its favor. But this new information prompted it to eject a note of caution into its plan. Rather than risk co close combat with a being so obviously lethal, the machine adjusts its tactics, choosing instead to launch a ranged attack, selecting its primary armament, a, a plasma beam blaster built into its right arm. The Mark VI achieved laser range rangefinder and calculated a fire in solution. No good, said Yas. Yas. No good, said Yas, returning from the back of the cave. It's a dead end, she pointed to the cave's mouth. That's our only way out. Are you sure that robot thing's still on or out there? Asked Ryan, squinting into the fast fading daylight. Maybe we gave it a slip. With the noise like a great gulp, the interior of the cave suddenly blew the color of stormlight. The air sizzled and a burning smell filled the small, the small place spaces. Ryan scrambled frantically towards the back of the cave, looking, for his looking over his shoulder. He saw a boulder had been sheltering behind. It was split cleanly down the middle as neatly sliced as a loaf of bread. Graham, brushing stone fragments out of his hair. Oh, that's definitely a death ray, the doctor grinned. Yeah, Ryan and Yaz sh shared a look. I've seen the grin before, Ryan whispered on Prox Masiti. Just before. She outwitted those carnivorous chessmen. Yaz nodded, and on that di direct space station, where she worked out how to defuse temporarily an anomaly bomb with three seconds left on the countdown. Couldn't have done it without you, the doctor said, trading past them. Might want to read a little longer. Ryan had traveled with the doctor for long. Her, ma her make the impossible escapes more times than Harry Houdini. And one time we'd even seen her escape from Houdini. 
Well, not the real Houdini, but 200 evil cyborg clones of the great escapologist. In the subways of New York City in 1904, there was another story. What he wondered was catching, was watched her march towards the cave entrance. Could she have possibly planned the doctor stopped beneath the stone arch at the night circle, cycle, and the sun was already low on the horizon. The last of its slanting rays cast a golden array around the doctor's sh- shadow. Standing there glowing, she looked invincible, invincible, perhaps even immortal. She raised both hands. We surrender, she called out. The citadel rose 12 kilometers out of the blasted plains and shining tower of iridium steel. Okay, Bryson, where are we? So I can show right him? Right there. It was protected from somewhere else. Okay. It was protect- protected. Okay, and read loud, too, right there. It was protected from, from every kind of weapon in the known galaxy. Atomic plasma... So, I think that's Sonic. Sonic and more. Maybe? Yeah, just to say that. Right. So, Sonic and more. And from the en- endless field of technology developed in in its lab labs, the builders in occupy. Uh, it's fine. I can edit it out. Was it um occupy? Occupiers, occupiers, occupiers of the of this ta- tower were the fle- fleet, a space faring hum. I don't know. It starts with an H. Okay, I'll read it. It was protected from every kind of weapon in the known universe: atomic, plasma, Pisonic, and more. And from just the enemy and from the no, I can't. And from the en- en- endless buffeting of the trot up heuristic winds by force field technology developed that? in its labs, the builders and occupiers of this tower were the fleet, a spacefaring humanoid race. Who were the fleet? <laughs> a spacefaring humanoid race who have devastated their own world in a series of wars. We're hungry to acquire new ones. How oh, can you pronounce that? Because it sounds like I have a higher heart. vocabulary than you. The first 97 levels of the cynical were administrative offices. No one considered paperwork before embarking on a galactic war. No one, that is, except the fleet. Above admin lay research and development, levels 98 through 112, communications, planning, medical, and finally, at the pinnacle, the Space Lord himself. From his throne room in the sky, the Space Lord waited for the strangers. News of their capture had come over the network barely half a cycle earlier, and they would be brought into his presence shortly. Curious to observe their arrival, he watched through the great curved window set high above the blasted plains, despite the fact that he knew he was too high up to spot them at the cynical doors. Even with the famed eyesight of his kind. Hey, keep an eye on the clock and tell me when to stop. Like, when we should stop the podcast. From his spot, here in the highest room in the tower, he could see more if he looked up than if he gazed down. Raising his head, 
He saw the flash of laser-wielding equipment from the busy shipyards in low orbit. The construction of three new dreadnoughts was nearing completion, and one of them would serve as his personal flagship in the upcoming attack on the dozen inhabitants of the Mineral Arch Alfred Lanus system. Turning away from the window, he returned to his throne and surveyed the room in, prep in preparation for his audience. Then he polished coal black. Then from from the polished coal black floor covering the area of two carrier decks to the triple height doors fashioned from the hull of a captured frost pirate warship, it was a room designed to immediate of all who entered. The throne itself was unmarkable enough, crafted from the most precious metals in the galaxy, and studied with jewels. What you'd expect. It was the twin dozel fins flanking the throne that really made an impression. More than 10 meters high, they had stripped from a pair of now exinct medlivore sharks that once swam in the outland sea, also gone boiled away during the ice cap wars. From the doors, from the doors to the dais on which the throne sat on a strip of red carpet lined with two three metre high glass cylinders on either side. It was only it was only as visitors were guided along the path to kneel before the throne that they released the true nature of the six glass cylinders. The first space lord of Animadari allowed himself a small smile of satisfaction as he recalled the many horrified reactions he had witnessed over the years. The cylinders were more than just ornaments. They were bottle prisons, collecting jars, in which he kept his vanquished enemies alive for his amusement. Souvenirs of war, the miserable prisoners were crammed in so tightly that they had barely any room to turn their heads. And in the case of the three-headed Hydrain Apollius Alpha, no room at all. And guys, I think that's where we're going to leave off. Yeah. Because we got to go get our friend, whose name also happens to be Ethan, for a special episode that you will listen to next. Hope you enjoyed. See ya. Yep. Bye. Say bye, Bryson. Sorry for the Hold mumbling. Up. Yeah, sorry for the mumbling.